Okay. If you open your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew 13. We're going to look at this section of parables, beginning with the pearl of great price. We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter because there is a, quite a contrast here I want to show you. Matthew 13 from verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, uh, of his treasure, what is new and what is old. And Jesus, and when Jesus had finished these parables... He went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? When did this man get all these things? Where? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Okay. In this chapter, uh, Jesus is at first teaching the masses in parables uh, along uh, the beach there. And a parable in scripture, of course, is an earthly story uh, with a heavenly or spiritual meaning. Uh, That is an illustration given from day-to-day life, whether it be from nature or just normal life in general, that the people listening can understand and relate to. But the illustration is given to communicate a deeper spiritual truth. And so, In the preceding verses, after Jesus had finished uh, teaching the masses in in parables, he and his disciples, they come back to a house, and Jesus' disciples, uh, they they come to him and ask him to uh, to explain to them the parable of the the wheat and the tares, uh, and of course, the parable of the sower before that, and uh, why he speaks to them in parables. And so, from verse 44 here, 
since these next three parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price and the net, uh, since they are placed between Jesus and his disciples, explaining these things back at the house and and Jesus saying, have you understood all these, these things? It's commonly accepted that these three parables we're looking at here were not given to the masses, but given to his disciples back at the house to, to help and reveal to them uh, for, and further understand what he's taught in the previous parables there. And so in verse 44, we read the first of these. The kingdom of heaven is like... Uh, To be in a kingdom is to be under the reign and rule of a monarch. Uh, To be in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which are synonymous terms in scripture, is to be under the reign and rule of God. And since we are clearly taught in scripture, and of course you found this to be true yourself if you're a believer, that Jesus Christ himself is deity, that he is the eternal God without beginning and without end who was born into his own creation in order to save us. Well, to be in the kingdom of heaven is to be under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. He is your king. He is your Lord. But as we also repeatedly see taught in Matthew, there are many who profess to follow Jesus and call him the Lord, Lord even, but don't do what he says. In other words, they don't live under his reign and rule. Uh, They are their own Lord, despite their profession of religion. I'm sure if you haven't come across this already, uh, I'm sure most of you have, but if you haven't already, you will come across it sooner or later. But there are People who often argue rather viciously against what they call lordship salvation. Uh, And these people, they argue that you can somehow have Jesus as your savior, but not as your Lord. And so, in other words, you're not under his reign and rule. You're your own Lord. Uh, Where you decide what's right and wrong, you're basically being your own God. Well, surely that person is not truly in the kingdom. And is one of those who this chapter says is rooted out. And so, after being given many warnings of true and false converts prior to this, in verse 44 now, we are given this parable. Remember, this is given to just his inner circles. He gives this parable here of what it will be like when a true believer finds Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like or is comparable to. And this is what it's like when someone truly finds the Lord. It is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so what is pictured here in this illustration is a man is digging in a field. And we're not told why he's digging in someone else's field, and maybe he rented it of someone else, or, or more likely he was a peasant a working for a wealthy landowner, and so he's digging as part of his work for him. But as he does, he finds this treasure that he's buried here. Uh, back in uh, this time and culture, these people did not 
have access to safe bank vaults. Uh, the homes themselves were not very secure. As earlier in Matthew, uh, you see the time when Jesus is teaching in a house, and they bring to him the, the man on the stretcher. And, I mean, they just put their hands through the roof to break through. Uh, uh, I mean, you could easily break into their houses. And so, with the threat of burglars and raiders, sometimes even wars, rich people would often resort to burying their treasure, and normally in a, a chest, which is evidently what this man has found here. And sometimes the owner would die without telling anyone else about it. And so generations uh, could pass even, and the land where the treasure is buried could pass between several different owners before the treasure is found. In this time and culture amongst the poor, uh, they would tell stories Uh, bedtime stories, if you like, uh, of people finding treasure like this. So Jesus here is using uh, an illustration that the people are familiar with in order to communicate a deeper spiritual truth. And so when the man finally, uh, when the man randomly finds this treasure, he covers it up. He doesn't want anyone else to know about it yet because he realizes that in order to lawfully acquire this treasure, he must first be the owner of the field. And so, in order to be able to buy the field, he has to sell everything he has, which he's glad to do, of course, because this treasure is far more valuable to him. And so, in his joy, it says, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field in order to get the treasure. Now, Don't read every little detail into this parable and so come up with things that Jesus is not teaching. Uh, For instance, if you think about this, uh, a modern equivalent of this story would be, I mean, those of you, we call it a garden. I don't know if you call it a yard. Um, We have the grass, the lawn, and maybe some trees and fruit trees or whatever. But supposing you had someone come over, we do it ourselves, but supposing you had someone come over each week, are you paid to mow your lawn and and do a bit of weeding there? And after two years of this, by chance, this person finds the soil there. And without you knowing, he gets some tests done. And it turns out your back garden is the only access point to this oil. And then... He comes to you and he buys your house. He makes you an offer you can't refuse. Perhaps he makes up a story. Well, there's a tree in your garden that which has become so sentimental to me. (laughs) But the next thing you know, the guy's a billionaire. Now, that would be immoral, wouldn't it? it? It would be legal. He's acted legally, but very immoral. And he's basically done you out of a lot there. Now, my point... Uh, with that illustration of the illustration is not to press every little detail of this parable or you'll come up with things the author never intended. Uh, But he hides it there. At first, he covers up the treasure. He's obviously not teaching he hides his faith for a while. But rather, in the context, what he's doing there, he's making sure he gets it. He will stop at nothing because he wants it so much, is the idea. Obviously, this is not teaching you somehow pay for your salvation. 
uh, because that would be a, a denial of the gospel. Now, this is certainly not teaching that if, if you let go of this, that, and the other, then you can somehow purchase Christ and his salvation. But rather, in this picture here, this man has found this treasure, which is so valuable that with joy he will gladly get rid of anything needed in order to take possession of it. You see, the point here being taught is that the kingdom of heaven, uh, the glad recognition of God ruling in your heart and life, belonging to him, having the salvation in him, being pardoned of every sin, past, present, and future, and so having eternal life with Christ. All of this is of such precious worth that on finding this, he's willing to surrender anything that would interfere with him or her obtaining it. And so, any sin in his life he's willing to let go of. Any earthly relationship that's preventing him, he's willing to let go of. Any erroneous views on the scripture, all these false teachings which he previously held to, Uh, that it was down to his performance to make him right with God. False teachings of legalism, false teachings about who Christ is. He's willing to let go of those things with joy in order to have this treasure of Christ. Some of you may have heard me give this illustration before, I, I don't know, but when me and my wife Zoe were first dating, uh, when we first met, I had this t-shirt, which I thought was super cool. I thought I looked really, really cool in it. <laughs> now, Zoe had not seen it yet, and we was walking down the street, and there was another guy on the other side of the road wearing the same t-shirt. And Zoe said, oh, that guy has got no fashion sense whatsoever. <laughs> now, the next day, my brother, he literally, he came to me and he said, Kev, Kev, can I borrow that t-shirt? And I said, such is my love for my brother, you can have it. (laughs) You see, he lets go of it with joy. (laughs) Because he's found something better, he wants. Uh, The Apostle Paul summed up this truth very well from his own experience in Philippians 3. Uh, There he says that the true Christian, the true Jew, the true circumcision is the one who has no confidence in the flesh, but whose boast is in Christ Jesus. That is, his or her boast of why we are accepted by God is not in ourselves, it's all because of Christ. You see, when Paul says in that passage there in Philippians 3, which really sums this truth up very well, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In the context, though, whatever gain Paul had, he's speaking of the things he he was previously trusting in uh, to make him right with God before conversion. Uh, Before his conversion, Paul said he he thought that God would accept him because he was born a Jew. Uh, The modern equivalent of that would be someone thinking they're going to heaven because they're they're born in a Christian home. Before conversion, Paul said he was, he was trusting that God would accept him because he was circumcised. That's like someone today trusting in their baptism. He was trusting 
that he was a Pharisee, which, remember, in that time uh, was considered uh, the religious elite. Uh, That's like someone today thinking that God will accept them because they, they go to a good church or they have good theology. And he said, before conversion, as to the law, blameless, or so he thought when he didn't really understand it. He was trusting in his own works. You see, Paul had this long list of reasons in himself that he wrongly thought would recommend him to God. But then one day he found Christ, or rather Christ found him on the road to Damascus. And and like the, he found him like this treasure hidden in the field here. And so all those erroneous ideas he previously had about who Christ was and things in himself that he thought would get him to, uh, into heaven and make him acceptable to God, he, he dropped them, he, he left them behind as quickly as the woman at the well left her water pot when she found this great treasure of Jesus. And so Paul says there, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on on faith. You know, someone uh, came uh, to speak to me uh, a while ago, and this person was greatly offended because sometime in the past, and this was quite a long time before he came to me, but he, but he pressed me and I refused to say to him, of course you're saved. And so he was greatly offended. I wouldn't say to him, of course you're saved. Now, I explained to him, I never tell someone, of course, you're saved. I want someone to be given assurance by the Spirit of God in the Word itself, not just a pastor tell them, of course, you're saved. I want them to know it from uh, the Word. But then he said, but look at all the good things I've done. And he, he said, you know, Paul, Paul encouraged the Corinthians there, there. And I gave examples how I'd publicly praised him in the past for uh, good things. And I kind of got sidetracked because he kind of, one of those people who keeps butting in all the time. But, but it, it struck me that no Christian would ever say, of course I'm saved because I do this, this, and this. No Christian would ever say, you know, of course I'm saved. Look at all the good I do. No, a Christian would say like Paul here, before conversion, before conversion, I used to trust in this, this, and this quality in myself to recommend me to God. But now I count those things as loss, or literally dung, manure here. You see, a true Christian, when pressed as to, are you saved, would not be saying, of course I am. I do this, this, and this. I have this quality in me. Look at this that I've done and I'm doing. No, he or she would say, I used to trust in those things. But now I've come to see them as a bucket of manure as far as making me right with God. You see, Christ is the only reason I am accepted. My my boast is in him. You see, if you you could meet the holiest of Christians, if you had a a time machine perhaps, and you could meet uh, Charles Spurgeon or Amy Carmichael in uh, the day, 
And you saw someone speaking to them and, and saying, well, you're definitely going to heaven because, uh, because of this, that, and the other you do. Look at how godly you are. And they would say, no, no. Uh, those things don't make me right with God. And my righteousness is, is but dung. If you knew me like God uh, does, and if you knew how holy God was, you wouldn't be so impressed. But my righteousness is Jesus Christ, they would say. Uh, my, my boast, my hope of heaven is in him. You see, that is the treasure found here. Christ is the treasure. And then in verses 45 and 46, our Lord gives a, a very similar parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, pearls in this time and culture were were found in the Persian Gulf and the Indian Ocean, and these were very expensive. They were way out of reach for the average person, or only the extremely rich could afford them. So being pictured here is a merchant, that is, someone who trades these pearls, but he's dissatisfied with what he's got. And he goes out on a search, and when he finds this one pearl of great value, he sells all his other pearls, in fact, everything he has, in order to gain it. Because this one is just way more valuable to him than everything he has. And so, uh, the only difference between this and the previous parable is in the hidden treasure, the man stumbles across it without even looking for it. But here in the pearl of great price, uh, this merchant is searching, it says. You see, uh, there are some people who stumble, so to speak. Uh, they, They find the salvation in Christ without even looking for it. Uh, They are content in their own sin and in their own righteousness somewhat. But then there are others who are searching. They're they're more desperate uh, for something more. They they may not know what they're they're looking for, but they're dissatisfied and they keep on searching until they find Christ and the salvation in him. Well, either way, you see, once they find him, then like in these In these examples, they are willing to part with anything that would hinder them from having Christ and the salvation in him. And by the way, another interpretation uh, of these, uh, which I I don't believe is the main one because it doesn't really fit with the context, but it it still works well. I think you can use it as an illustration. But this, this parable is also true in reverse. You see, you could equally use this as an illustration uh, to say uh, the believers, uh, you are the treasure in the field. Uh, You are the pearl of great price. And so in order to obtain us, God bought the field. He bought the whole world. You see, you, the believers, are so precious to him, he was willing to part with everything he had to gain possession of us. That's what scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
It's not the main meaning, I don't believe, but it still fits and can use, be used to illustrate something that's true. And then from verse 47, Jesus tells them a, another parable, this time of the dragnet. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So uh, the practice described here is the fishermen upon the shore would throw this large net into the sea which would further go out with the tide, and then fish would swim into it, and then they would drag the net back onto the shore uh, with the fish in it, and of course they'd catch more in it as they did. And then they would separate the fish that were edible and put them in buckets whilst the rest they discarded. Well, so it will be at the end of the age. Uh, There will be be a separation done by angels, this is what the kingdom of God, those who claim to be under the reign and rule of Jesus now, is like in this parable. And when the gospel is preached, it's like this dragnet catching fish. Well, there are good fish, true converts in the bad fish, false. But they are together, they are in the net, they are in the church. Until the end of the age, when a a separation is done by angels. Of course, uh, like in the previous parable uh, uh, earlier in the chapter of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds, and many times, when it says at the end of the age here is separation, and many times a person's false profession comes out long before that day. You know, you have the example of Judas. You know, sometimes it's obvious. It's not saying in those circumstances you have to wait till the end of the age. Uh, But you see... There are many times when, you know, someone can say all the right things. There's no obvious big sin in their life uh, that they're unrepentant of. But you're just hoping for more, a little more love for Christ. They, they seem to you like what Jesus called a barren fig tree. But in those cases, it's a difficult job for men to separate, our Lord said. It's a job for angels. Uh, of course, there's a, a lot more you can say on those things, but it be, would be a, a separate sermon. But, but the most noticeable thing in the parable of the dragnet, at least to me here, is we are not really told anything different than what he's already told us in the parable of the wheat and the tares. And so what it seems like is happening here, this is like when a preacher, he, he gives an illustration uh, to make a point, and then he gives another illustration to press home the same point. You see, we've been going through Proverbs on a a Wednesday night, and it's amazing how the same things keep coming up there. Well, obviously, the Lord knows our frame. He knows what we need to be reminded of. And so this is obviously, the point he's making here is obviously much needed because, and I think it's this, as Christians, we're often very quick to take on an angel's job and do the sorting and quickly Uh, write people off. You know, I think in the history of our church, when when you see someone fall away, 
afterwards you can say, well, the warning signs were there. But I tell you, for every person uh, who's done that, I've seen equal people with the same warning signs, but the warning signs have fallen off, and they're going strong with the Lord. So it's really hard uh, to tell. And of course, not doing the sorting here, it obviously does not contradict our Lord's teaching, which is only in a few chapters uh, on uh, church discipline. You know, when someone's in unrepentant sin, it's obviously not saying it's a a job for angels. Uh, but, but, But there are times when, you know, there's just... There's these quirks. No, are you hoping for more? And it's difficult to tell. But there will be a separation. As the repeated phrase again says here, so at verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, the application here is to check ourselves and, and warn others to repent if needed. And then from verse 51, he says to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, since you have understood, he now gives them this next illustration. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, a scribe in the New Testament, and by the way, don't apply this to every time you see the word scribe in your Bible, because throughout the pages of Scripture, the word scribe means different things in different times and cultures. But a scribe in the New Testament time was basically someone who was devoted to the law of God. They were responsible for learning it and copying it and teaching it others, hence the close connection with the Pharisees. And They were disciples, hence trained by another, uh, in order to be able to do this. And so Jesus here, he uses this as an example of one of his disciples. Uh, Since you have been trained in these truths of the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven is personified in in this instance. Uh, Since you have been trained by Christ, schooled in these gospel truths for him, then you're like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old? Uh, being pictured in this instance is the head of the household would have this treasure box in which he would bring out different things needed for the family, uh, sometimes financial, sometimes other things, but things that were needed. And so the teaching here is after understanding these truths and being trained in these things for the kingdom like you are each week, you have a responsibility to share them, especially with your own family, your own household, and and others whom the Lord opens the door for. And bring out what is needed, uh, what is old and what is new. Uh, William Hendrickson uh, said of this, he said, in what is old and what is new, he said, uh, there are some Christians who are always big on the old uh, doctrines, but are just not ready to apply them to today. Whereas there are the others who are just wanting to uh, kind of set aside the old doctrines, but they just want new applications. Well, he says, what is, what is old, new and what is old? Uh, the old doctrines, but apply them to today's circumstances. 
You see, this person loves the Bible, but is ready to apply them to whatever situations. And, and then from verse 53, and this is why I've gone this far, because we really see a contrast here, as you'll see in a moment. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogues, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get uh, this wisdom and these mighty works, uh, these miracles? And so Jesus, he returns to Nazareth here, the place he grew up. And after teaching in the synagogues there, his wisdom is undeniable. And if they had not personally seen the, the miracles, which many of them probably had because he did many close by in, in Galilee, uh, they'd, but if they'd not personally seen one, they'd definitely heard about them. But they object and say, verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Uh, by the way, the, the fact that Joseph is not mentioned by name here is thought to mean, indicate, is no longer living at this point. But they continue, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James and uh, Joseph uh, and Simon and Judas? Judas, are not his sisters all with us? Uh, they're married to people uh, and still with us in this very town, they're saying. You see, they're basically saying here to Jesus, or about him, they're saying, who are you? As in, you're nobody. And so they continue, where did this man get all these things? They're saying, he's not been to Bible college He's not had the elite training of the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 57, and they took offense at him, or literally they were repelled by him. Maybe it's due to envy, they're worried about losing their own influence or being corrected. But they are not judging Jesus by the truth of his message and the, the clear evidence before them. But what they're doing, they're clutching at any straw they can in order to reject him. But Jesus said to them, verse 57 continues, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Jesus acknowledges here that he's a prophet and thus deserving of honor, which they don't give him, of course. He's prophet, priest, and king in his earthly ministry. And the mention of Jesus' household here, likely referring to what we learned from the other Gospels, that some of his brothers uh, rejected him at this time. Uh, maybe because, again, uh, these people, because of some uh, jealous prejudice, uh, they reject all this evidence that he is the Son of God. He, they, all this evidence before them with the prophecies fulfilled, the, the, the wisdom, the undeniable, the miracles. And so verse 58 and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That is, he, from that time on, he stopped revealing himself there after they stubbornly refused him. You see, the point I'm making is, what a contrast here between those who see Jesus as this hidden treasure or the, the pearl of great price, so valuable they are willing to forsake anything that interferes with having him, and yet here, these people despise him, and they don't want him at any cost. Uh, what a contrast Matthew gives us here to, to the believer who's found Jesus, who, who sees him as the pearl of great price, the hidden treasure, 
who wants him more than anything else and is willing to forsake anything that interferes with having him than these who want to clutch any straw and will reject him at any cost. So let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you that your son is indeed infinitely valuable. For what profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? I pray, Lord, that through your word you would open eyes to see people don't want to be like these Pharisees here but to see you as the the hidden treasure found in Christ be their all in all. In Jesus' name, amen.